Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic, to cosplay, to Schitt's Creek, to Supernatural, and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. We are continuing our celebration of Black History Month with a discussion about Whitney Houston. And I have a great, great packed panel for this one. I broke my three-panelist rule because I thought it was important to have more than just three people for this one. So I'm very, very excited. We've got lots of other podcast hosts on with us as well. So that makes me excited. And I'm Really looking forward to diving into this and to talking about Whitney Houston. So this should be a fun one. So before I have everyone introduce themselves, just a quick housekeeping note that we are on Patreon. So if you'd like to support the show for as little as $3 a month, head on over to the link in our show notes or go to our link tree and you'll find the link there. We just recently released a bonus rent episode that I really, really think is good. We have, of course... Every season of American Horror Story, we're going to be releasing those bonus episodes, and that should be fun for people to listen to. I think it's probably going to be very interesting for my panelists that I have roped along on this journey with me to rediscover their love-hate relationship with this series. (laughs) I know I have a love-hate relationship with it, but it should be fun. We will probably have some bloopers, other stuff as well. We're going to be doing a Destiel fanfic. Coming in the summer, we're going to be talking about the fanfic four-letter word because Mal, great, wonderful podcast supporter and Patreon supporter, they had suggested it. And so since they are such a great supporter, I decided we would cover that one. So looking forward to that as well. Okay, so I'm going to go around and have my panelists introduce themselves. So Bex, hi Bex, what are you into right now? Okay, um, well... I've been listening to your recent episodes and I know a lot of other people have said this, but I just have to say it. it it's Encanto. <laughs> I, I, I have to. I, it really is like I've watched it probably six times in the last month, maybe not even a month, the last like three weeks. I, there was one weekend I definitely watched it twice in the same weekend. You know, the soundtrack is just it's everything. I, I I adore all the songs and I, I put the captions on to try and sing along. But I got mad because when I put the captions on in Spanish so that I could read the the lyrics to Dos Oruguitas, it didn't give me the subtitles. <laughs> I was like, but but I want so I just had to look them up online. I even went as far as to be like, okay, well, this sister is this character and this because I have a lot of sisters, so I like labeled them all. I'm like, okay, you're Luisa and <laughs> you're Tia Peppa, and I decided that I'm Bruno. So 
that's that's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, when you said you've heard a lot of people mention this before you said something, I'm like, it's either going to be what you mentioned or it's going to be ghosts because I, that series is mentioned, I swear, every week practically. So I wonder if anyone, because it hasn't been mentioned yet this week, so I wonder if anyone on my panel is going to mention that show. <laughs> we shall see. We shall see. And then Ishel is back from Liberty Diner Dish. So what are you into right now? I am the same as Bex. <laughs> I've been all about Encanto also. Uh, but for me, um, where I live, we've been in this like unseasonal, un, well, I guess unnatural gray weather a lot, which we don't really have around here. And so I've been keeping the sads at bay by, you know, watching a lot of Disney movies. And that one has just been on repeat. And then... I am Louisa in my family. And so I was like, oh my gosh, this song makes me want to cry. And so <laughs> I was telling my therapist about it. I was like, I think we really need to work through this Disney song. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> that's what I'm all about right now. That's that's awesome. See, see, art is so amazing and powerful. So yes, it deserves more credit. And then Bex's co-host, Kim, welcome back. So what are you into right now? I wish I could say Encanto. I've only seen it the <laughs> once. But like I'm a person I only really watch things once they have been off for a long time. So I'm re-watching Top Chef. So that's what I'm about right now. <laughs> so I'm up to uh, season six. And I think it's the best one so far. It's the most diverse cast. There are people making foams. There are people like stealing pee purees. It's like very interesting. It's really good. <laughs> Yeah, that I haven't watched that show in forever, but I used to be really into it. And the foam thing always got me because every time I have to admit, every time I see foam, it just looks so unappetizing to me. <laughs> Until you taste it. We just went to this French restaurant a couple of weeks ago and I was like, oh, there's foam on this. I don't know. And I was like, how did they make this foam taste like lavender? It's amazing. Like it's it's not good to look at, but it's a delicious tasting dish foam. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought? Yeah, exactly. Yep. And then Megan, what are you into right now? Hi. Um, so right now I've been mostly into uh, Bad Bunny music as well as uh, Sebastian Yatra and Sofia Reyes. Uh, Sebastian Yatra and uh, Sofia Reyes just came out with a new album, but I did go to the Bad Bunny concert last week and I'm still mesmerized and it's still like the greatest experience. And I'm just so happy that I got to experience him live again. I, I got to see him a long, long time ago, but it's just it, it, seeing him live again in such a big stadium um, at the ball arena was truly magnificent because it's all he's ever wanted. Um, I took my boyfriend. He doesn't speak Spanish. So it was very interesting to see him react the way I react to music that I don't necessarily know. Like he listens to a lot of like, um, uh, I, I don't know how else to call it other than techno. Um, it's not but it, uh, like Grizz stuff like that. He really loves that kind of music. And it's like a whole language to me and seeing him kind of go through it. It made me recognize like we can still appreciate each other and do things for each other. But yeah, no bad bunny fan forever. Always supporting him. Hopefully he doesn't ever do anything bad, but you know, like I'm just, I love him so much. <laughs> Yes, we don't, we don't want to have to cancel him. Knock on wood. <laughs> See, it's so funny because Megan mentioned Bad Bunny on our um, on our Prince episode. And I was like, I have no idea who this person is. I don't know a lot of, I love music, but a lot of current music I don't know. And I feel so old. And See, I'm, I'm kind of the reverse because I'm not 
really huge into music, but I am, I do a lot with like Latinx cultures and studies and all of that. Yeah. So I'm like, I know it from that and hearing another other podcast being brought up. <laughs> well, that now I know just from, from you, Megan, but. <laughs> okay. Always happy to bring it. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, let's get into Whitney Houston. And I know my panelists probably hate me for limiting the number to three. And I know it's been that way when we did Prince. It was that way when we just recorded our, when we did our Janet Jackson episode as well. But I'm still limiting you to three. So Bex, what are three of your favorite Whitney Houston songs? Or if you would prefer to name albums, you can too. That doesn't mean that others can't name the same songs or albums, by the way. Because I know everyone will be like, oh, by the end, especially me. But <laughs> yeah, that's that's always the thing. And I'm like, oh, yes, my name starts with a B. I get to go first. <laughs> um, you know, even even when I'm on with Carla, like I can steal from Carla. That's I great. <laughs> um, well, I'm going to snag up what I think is probably the most obvious right away. But please, you know, everyone else who feels that way, go for it, um, is the Bodyguard soundtrack. The whole thing. I'm not going to pick a favorite song. I was probably only like 10 or 11 when the movie came out, but like my stepmom was obsessed with this soundtrack. We listened to it everywhere, everywhere we went in the car, we were cleaning the house on weekends. That music was on. I feel like I'm at this point with listening to it still. Like I bet if you turned it on, I haven't listened to it in, in, in years besides like prepping for this. And I bet if you put it on, as one song was ending, I could start singing what song came next on the album because we listened to the whole thing over and over again like that. It was just, yeah. I, I So I had to put that one on there. <laughs> like I knew all the songs to that movie long before I ever was old enough to see it. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, I didn't, you know, I couldn't pick um, just a song for that one from that album, but then if I go to just songs, the, the next one I picked um, was Greatest Love of All. And that's another one that it's all, all these things are wrapped up. Mostly you're going to hear a lot about my stepmom today <laughs> because that was really like she was the one who introduced me to Whitney's music. And this song, for some reason, like I didn't know she actually had, um, there was some something about this song and between her and her brother who um, died of AIDS in the, the late 80s. And so this was a really special song to her. And I didn't know it at the time, but I like learned all the words and, and practiced singing it and did like a little concert for her. <laughs> and she was in tears. And I was like, I didn't know what I had done. <laughs> Besides, I will not sing this for you now. I, it's a little <laughs> bit different when you're a kid. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that that memory of that moment singing that for her you know and and her reaction to it and then our talk about it afterward really like that song will always hold a very special place in my heart and the last one I picked was her performance of the Star Spangled Banner because like I really couldn't like I had a list of like 20 of them and I'm like okay I gotta pick three from this um so I went with that one uh just because I think it is hands down the best performance of that song I have ever heard in my life. Like I, bar none, it, it is absolutely amazing. And I'm so glad that like, while I may have been young, I was, I was alive to, to hear it happen. <laughs> so I'll, I'll keep it short for that. But those, those were my three picks. Awesome. Wonderful. You didn't take any of mine, but that doesn't oh. matter because I'm last. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Ishelle. 
Okay, so I'll go with songs, and I, I you know, kind of same as Bex. You can't think about it too much because there's just too many. And so I was like, okay, the first, just the first three. So, and all of these are tied to either memories or just the emotion that they conjure for me. So I went, I look to you, and then I want to dance with somebody because how can you hear that song and not want to dance? At least a little shoulder, something, you know. And and that's the one that. Uh, for New Year's, I did karaoke with some of my really good friends, and that was the song we were singing as, you know, it rolled over to the New Year. So that one, and then My Love is Your Love is the, the third one that I, I went with. All great ones. Yeah. Yes. You only stole one of mine. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kim, have yours been stolen? No, not yet. I, I like that the theme is like, we did this, we listened to this music with our parents because like, I remember cleaning the living room on like weekends, listening to Whitney Houston. Like now that music is my reality. Like when I was a kid, I hated it. But like now my, the first song I picked was um, How Will I Know? Because that's like the 80s for me. Like that was, I'm pretty sure the first Whitney Houston song I've ever heard. It's like so poppy and it's just so much fun. And it's just like so 80s and it's like hopeful. And I think like growing up, I was like, I'm going to sing this song about like someone that I'm like falling in love with one day and I'm going to wear neon because like that's what she did. <laughs> uh, the other song that I picked was, uh, it's a really modern one. No one picked it yet. Uh, Heartbreak Hotel. It's like really R&B. It's really soulful. Um, and it features two of the best like R&B singers at the time. So it's uh, Faith Evans and Kelly Price. And the, either one of them, I mean, either any of them in the group could have like belted this song out, but the three of them just are like casually singing it and it sounds beautiful. And it's like, if they put in like 10 more percent, that song would have been insane. It would have been too much for our ears. And they were just great at like regular bass level. Like they're just such great singers. And the last song I picked was because of the drama of it all, uh, Saving All My Love. I definitely was like an eight-year-old singing about this like affair that was happening between these two, just belting my heart out. And like, you're not supposed to root for anyone here because like they're having an affair. But I was just like, I hope she gets him. I hope she gets him so much. Like, it made no sense how attached I was to the song as a child. Like, there's a part where she kind of growls uh because tonight is the night and I'm feeling all right and I'm eight just like I know what you mean but I don't <laughs> but like that song is just it's so special to me but like it shouldn't be but it's up there it's in my top three I know what you mean <laughs> can, I, can I insert that I was today years old when I realized that that was about an affair <laughs> because I'm just lost in the lyrics and the like flow of the song that as you were saying that I was like wait a minute so I'm going to the lyrics in my head. I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm so, like, so no thank you for that. Just read them and you're going to be like, oh no, what Jerry Springer nonsense is this? <laughs> but it's so beautifully sung that it's like, oh, I hope she gets that man. But she shouldn't because he's married. <laughs> I know you have this. Yeah. Wow. Mind blown. <laughs> <laughs> that probably, that'll probably happen for a lot of people listening to this too. Honestly, there are a lot of songs like that where mm -hmm. You don't know what they're really saying until later on or someone tells you and you're like, wait a minute, that's what that song is? A <laughs> Pina Colada song? And like, oh, gosh. <laughs> so, Megan, have all of yours been taken or no? Uh, well, I was actually going to bring up an album, but I am kind of piggy backing off of uh, Kelly's uh Oh, excuse Kim. me. Kim, sorry. I <laughs> I am sorry. It's, I have a, a coworker who's so much like you. <laughs> just even how you were talking now, I 
just thought of her. So I apologize, Kim. Okay. <laughs> but, um, so mine is actually the album, the Whitney Houston self-titled album, for one, because of the cover. The cover is a look. It is a vibe. I wish I was as brave as her to just, you know, because I went short hair for a while, but I never like shaved it or anything because I was scared about my head shape because I... I have a peanut head, um, but her, she just looks so beautiful. Like I'm looking at right now and I'm like, wow, like if I could have looked this stunning with short hair, like this stunning, I would have probably kept this short. It would have been a whole mood, but uh, this brings back the memory. Cause even when I was growing up in the two thousands, like, you know, I wasn't allowed to like go out and party and do all these things. So like I'd be in my room, like in that typical fashion of writing in my diary or on the computer, like about feeling in my feels, listen to music. And this was definitely one of the albums I would just kind of sneak in and like, act like I knew what I was feeling or something <laughs> too. I also really understand that feeling of like, yeah, I'm like, like 10 to 13 years old. I know these things. I understand these feelings real well. No, I did not. <laughs> but I was also reading really uh, um, not appropriate age books and stuff. But um, she really helped me discover like what love was. And she just really covered it well in this album. It was like, wow, like I am so changed. But overall like this one's my favorite album like I had to pick one to take with me on island it would have to be this one because like if I want to be in my feel-good feelings like this is the one even though it kind of like sometimes dips I love this album so much but that's like my one big one because it just covers everything <laughs> oh you're just oh so you're just going with that one <laughs> that's what that's how I should word it now it, it is what three things would you take with you to an island instead of your top three, your three ones? I, that's what I'm going to word it from now on when we do things like this. I'm going to say what, even we're doing characters from shows or movies or anything. I'm going to be like, what three characters would you take with you to an island? <laughs> that's different, though, because my answer to my favorite characters and the and the people I'd want on a different well, island. Yes, I know. Not the yeah. <laughs> I know, but it would still be an interesting answer to get. So, yeah. Well, so a lot of mine were taken except for two of them, even uh, because I'm not including it as far as like the album. Um, but the song, I have nothing from the bodyguard soundtrack. That's my favorite one off of there. I mean, I love her version of, I will always love you, but I think I have nothing is the best song on there. That is something that I just, I don't know. It's one of those that just is like a gut punch and very emotional the way I choose these the way I chose these songs they aren't really tied to any memories necessarily it's just more songs that for me I just want to dance when I'm listening to them or I want to sing them at the top of my lungs so the ones that really make me want to do that which most of these are but are the ones that I listed um and then so emotional I love that one a lot like instantly hear it in my head instantly like feel like moving around and singing it you know really loud and just having fun. And then I'm going to choose one of the ones that was already chosen, but I'm going to say uh, dance with somebody. Uh, it's very hard because also how will I know and saving all my love for you is where the other ones on there as well. But dance with somebody is just one of those for me. That's like so eighties vibe. So like, you know, letting go and having fun in that pop eighties vibe, which it's funny because not until I got older did I like this music because I didn't like this music when I was younger. I was like, oh, I don't like pop. I don't like pop stuff like that. I don't I don't like these kind of, you know, cheesy songs that, I mean, might be classified as cheesy, but aren't really. 
um, until I got older. But this one is so much fun. And I was, you know, it's like one of those that you hear it in movies and it's a lot of fun. And it's just another one. Like I said, I want to dance when I hear it. I want to sing really loud when I hear it, even though nobody wants to hear me sing it because <laughs> no, <laughs> I have to say, I love doing karaoke, even though I'm not a good singer. But I would never, ever attempt. There are some singers I'd be like, I'm not attempting, like Lady Gaga and Whitney Houston. And I mean, there's just definitely I'd be like, nope, nope, not going to even attempt that. Yes, yeah, Celine Dion's on that list, too, for me. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's that's another one. Yeah, yeah, that'd be hard to attempt as well. OK, so music videos are a big thing for Whitney Houston, too, I think. And I think her music videos, we, we talked about this with Janet Jackson. We talked about it with Prince. I think every. Everybody that we've talked about so far when we've talked about their music videos, even last year when we talked about George Michael, they're all, they all, every artist approaches music videos differently, I think. Even though I think sometimes people say everyone does the same kind of thing, I don't think that's the case. I think every artist, even if there are similarities, uh, especially in the 80s and when it was all coming up, they all put their different sort of spin on it, usually. And I'm talking like the, the big artists and the well-known ones. Um, so I want to ask you, so Bex, what are your three favorite music videos for Whitney Houston? Okay, so I I couldn't really answer this before this week <laughs> because, I was, first of all, we didn't have cable until like the mid-90s. So I never watched um, any of that stuff until later on. Um, and even then I kind of had to sneak it. <laughs> you know, I wasn't supposed to be watching it. So I really didn't know much about her videos. So I went through and started watching a few of them. And and kind of what you were talking about right there, though, was the style. One thing that really stood out to me was like the close ups on her face and how it was about her singing. It wasn't about the performance as much. And I really appreciated that. You know, yes, there was a performance. Yes, there was a story that was being told, but it was really giving all the focus to her voice. And and I do want to talk about, um, I think the of all the ones I reviewed that, that I want to dance with somebody one just absolutely like far and away was my favorite and a lot for the reasons you were talking about. So I'm sorry if I stole it, uh, <laughs> but it just, the colors, the, the guys in that video. Oh my, I was like, especially watching it in 2022, was that what you're in? Yes. in 2022? <laughs> I was going to say 2021, but, uh, you know, but especially watching that like 35, 40 years removed from it is just like, okay, that was, a, that was a choice. That was a choice that was made. And, and I love it. Like the, the colors, the dresses, the, the, the suits that these guys were wearing and their, their moves. I, <laughs> I absolutely love that. So I don't have a, a list of three, but I kind of wanted to just talk about that one in particular and sort of the way that everything I watched, it seemed to be about focusing on her face and her voice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very, very much it was, so. It was good because it wasn't like, it wasn't like, well, we didn't have auto-tune then, you know, like she was singing yeah. and this was, this was real. This was powerful. Yeah. Ishelle, do you have three? Um, I do. It was kind of hard to come up with some, but <laughs> I've got some. Uh, so I went with the video for I Will Always Love You because I remember her sitting in that chair and like and having the montage of other stuff. But I felt like it was something kind of overall with her. But I, for whatever reason, I associated with that music video where she 
she sings about love and relationships a lot, but she, in the lyrics, whether she wrote them or somebody else wrote them, she's singing them and she sings them in a way where she's talking about something that makes her so vulnerable and honest, but there's like a strength to it too. So where you don't feel silly singing about love or like, oh, this hapless woman, like she's just sick over this man and she's never going to make it without him, whatever. But there's something to where it's like, yeah, I do love this person and I don't have anything without them. And so um, that's just, in my young mind trying to put that together <laughs> but anyway uh i to me i associate that with that specific music music video just that that strength and elegance of saying this is how i honestly feel about loving this person um another one was just the vibrancy of another one of her videos from i guess it was 80s early 90s i'm not i'm not really sure but um how will i how will i know like it's just so fun <laughs> and uh when she did the one for um I guess I want to dance. And she, to me, she's like this like black Barbie doll is how I kind of saw her. And so just really loved seeing that on, on TV. And then I liked the one for the song, a song I mentioned earlier. Um, My love is your love, because it was just like a different style of video for her to be in. And I felt like it, as she, I wouldn't say that she reinvented herself throughout her career, but as she just kind of moved with the genre and what was kind of like, popular at the time the styles that were popular at the time that was a different type of song for her sort of and so the video just kind of matched that so it was neat to see her in a new in a new light yeah and kim so i'd realized that i'd never seen a whitney houston music video yeah because mm -hmm. by the time i was watching music videos like there was like nirvana and stuff like i wasn't there wasn't <laughs> like whitney houston music videos out so i went down like a whole rabbit hole on youtube and i found so many that i loved and my favorite was i'm your baby tonight which I love that song too, but from all the videos that I've watched, it seems like she doesn't really dance. She does like this like sway and bop thing. But in this music video, there's like choreography, there's time traveling. She goes through like a mirror and then she's like a performer in the twenties. And then she's like a singer in the sixties and there's three versions of her. And then she's French, which I think is maybe like the nineties or something. Um, but she's doing a lot of dancing and she looks like she's having so much fun in it that I was like, hands down, this is my new favorite music video. I love it. The second one that I liked was uh, It's Not Right, But It's Okay. And that was much more modern. It's when she's like in her very much like R&B phase. Like she's again, not doing any dancing, just like the swaying and bopping. But she's got like a really great dark lip. She's got like a bob and this like necklace choker collar thing. And she just looks so strong. And she's just like, yeah, you're cheating. But like, I'm over here looking fabulous. So get over it. And she just looks so amazing. Um, and my last favorite one is from The Bodyguard. It's I Have Nothing because one, that song is amazing. But the music video is basically like a trailer for the movie. Like it's a little synopsis. Like if you've never seen it, you're going to want to watch it after seeing this music video. And they do this thing where like it's very big in the 90s to have like Egyptian things. And she's got like an Egyptian <laughs> headpiece. And it just is like so perfect. Like, oh, this is that time in the 90s where everyone was obsessed with Egyptians. And like she does it so well. So. I love those three. That's true. I forgot about that. That was in, in the 80s too, really. Part of the 80s was like that too. I was thinking about like Michael Jackson where he had like that. Remember the time video? Oh, I think yes. like, like yeah. the shoulder themes. And it was just like, oh yeah, we were really all about Egyptians for a while. Like what was that about? That's true. I wonder what that was. It's weird how some things happen and you're like, how did that even become like a craze and right? something we were all doing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Megan, 
So I have two for this one. Um, the I Will Always Love You video. I don't know if it's just how they did her face makeup or if it was just the camera lens itself, but she was just so very kind of like, it, it was a soft glam. I think it was before soft glam really became such a trending thing now. She was doing soft glam then. And I wish that people would credit her for that because it was such an amazing look. And she was somebody who pulled it off really well. And throughout that music video, we're focused on the voice again, but there's like this element with like nature around her and all this kind of like elemental stuff that shows just how powerful of moving her voice is. And I, I really enjoyed that. And I think for my second one, I actually really love the video she did with Mariah Carey. Um, the song, it, it leaves my, uh, yeah, When You Believe uh, with Mariah Carey when they're like holding hands and they're on stage together and stuff. And when they're singing like to each other, it, it was just really heartwarming because like, I mean, you would see like, obviously like female stars like get together and like do stuff together, but seeing them together just because they both have such big voices and they're both so talented. It was like, wow, like I want to see more of this. I want more women to just collaborate like this. And that was a good collaboration. The essence of like, we're women empowering women. We're not just singing or supporting men. And I was just so happy when I first watched that when I was about eight, because I was a big Mariah Carey fan. I was like, oh, like, I don't really know who Whitney Houston is. And that video really helped me like start really learning about who Whitney Houston is and what she's been through and how she's really laid the pathway for people like Mariah Carey. And it was just so heartwarming to see a video like that. And I, I don't know. I just, it makes me happy that Whitney Houston always in her videos, even like run to you. It's like, she's like this goddess, this beautiful being. And I just, I wish more artists did that because someone like her, it, it was very elusive, but also beautiful um, in the same way. Like when we were on the Prince episode, like very elusive and beautiful, a little bit of mystery, but so powerful. It just, it always is so awe-inspiring, and I love when artists do that and take advantage of their music videos like that. Well, uh, I won't say much more about I Will Always Love You because <laughs> it's been mentioned twice. That is my absolute favorite, though, because it's so simple. It's, like, just, I mean, on the surface, very simple, but there's so much emotion. And I have to say, every time I would watch that video... Uh, when it first came out, I remember seeing it a lot. And I was actually not into videos that much growing up, even though I came around, you know, when MTV became a thing, I was a young kid. And and then VH1 was more what I got into. But I was never really into music videos all that much. But I do remember this one so well because I would cry every time I watched it. And it's because of how powerful her voice is and her face and her eyes. And she is not just singing this song. She is feeling this song. And I think that's why it's such a great and powerful video. And I love How Will I Know as well. I know that was mentioned as well. <laughs> but what I loved was the colors because I was watching it again. The vibrant colors were just like so 80s. <laughs> and the big bow in her hair. Uh, <laughs> the headband with the big bow was just... It was amazing. And all the painting on the wall, like the paint, like the different, like almost neon like colors and stuff was just really incredible. And it was just fun. And then I'll just mention uh, Greatest Love of All. I like that video a lot. It's in the auditorium and the school and it's very, you know, um, uplifting and um, powerful again. And once again, 
uh, kind of like with I Will Always Love You, it, she's not just singing, she's feeling while she's doing it. It's like she's completely immersed in the words and the music of whatever she is singing, which is one of the reasons she's such an amazing and incredible performer, um, or was, sorry. So that's one of the reasons is just because you can see that she felt every word and every beat, even if she might not have been hearing the music at the time she was singing, she still felt that, you know. Okay, so she did have an acting career as well. Um, and I we just I just want to briefly just talk about and it's fine if you didn't watch any of these or don't want to don't have any thoughts on them, but we're just gonna briefly talk about the bodyguard, the preacher's wife, and waiting to exhale. And just a couple of quick little statistics here, because the bodyguard was the first film that she did, and she uh, actually got a lot of harsh <laughs> criticism for this. Uh, a lot of people said she was not good and she was just playing herself. The movie got really bad reviews, but this was the 10th highest grossing film at the time. So even though people kept putting it down, it still made tons of money. So did the soundtrack, everything like that. So that's what's so interesting, I think, is that no matter what critics might have thought of it, People loved it. The public loved it. Her fans loved it. And then with The Preacher's Wife, that is the best-selling gospel album of all time, that one. So just another little fun little trivia there. So, Bex, did you have you seen all three? I know, of course, The Bodyguard. I'm sure you've seen because you <laughs> mentioned that before. <laughs> yes, I, I did finally see it after knowing all the, the lyrics. But um, what I want to say about The Bodyguard, though, was at uh, it actually took quite a bit of convincing. Like Kevin Costner actually reached out to yeah. her specifically and was like, hey, I really want you for this movie because like the agents had been in contact and she's like, no, no, no. Like that's not, that wasn't her thing. She wasn't an actress. And so it wasn't in her her mindset to go after that until he s said to her like, look, I'll be with you along the way and I'll help you out. And And I think she was meant to play a version of herself. Like that was the the story that was envisioned there. So to say she was playing herself is not a bad thing mm -hmm. uh, in that movie, I would say. So yeah, you know, m all my memories with these movies, again, tied up with my stepmom. And when she finally let us see, you know, cause like rated R movies, it, like she was pretty strict with that in, you know, I saw rated R movies at my mom's house, but not at my dad's house kind of thing. <laughs> but one thing I really remember was after we watched The Preacher's Wife, it was like maybe, I don't know if it was the next night or the next time I visited, or it was very shortly after though. She had gone out and found, um, it was probably on VHS, and I don't remember, <laughs> but it was probably on VHS, uh, a copy of The Bishop's Wife. That was the original. Which was the original um, with Cary Grant and Loretta Young and, and had us watch that sort of as a, a comparison. But, you know, maybe it's just the time period that was made versus the, the Whitney version. But I think the, the preacher's wife really just hit so much harder. Um, there, was, there was a lot more passion in that, in that movie, as far as I remember. <laughs> I mean, I suppose, I suppose like 1947, 1990, whatever it was that it came out like, there were a few more things you could get away with doing or saying or alluding to, but, um, but yeah, she, she was definitely like, okay, well, if we're going to watch this, you need to see like where, where they adapted it from. <laughs>
So my love of adaptation started young. I don't know. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and then waiting to exhale. Did you? I don't think I actually saw that one. Um, I don't. I, I guess. I'm sorry. We'll watch it. <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll watch we'll it. We'll report back. I'm going to make her watch it. <laughs> and just to let everybody know, The Bodyguard is on HBO Max. And so is Waiting to Exhale. And then The Preacher's Wife is on Amazon Prime and Peacock right now. So, so Ishelle, have you seen all three of these? I have. And I want to throw out a little honorable mention for her turning the Cinderella um, adaptation as well. <laughs> yeah, which I just watched on Disney Plus not too long ago. I mean, of course, I had seen it before that, but I watched it again a couple weeks ago. Um, but yeah, I've seen all of these and same. I wasn't watching them when they first came out because um, I was way too young, probably. But uh, yeah, I loved uh, I love the bodyguard. And I mean, you know, old critics, but I mean, she ain't the first actress to make the leap into acting and, you know, not stick the landing the first time. <laughs> you know, there's some who have still not stuck the landing, but I do like that movie. And uh I really liked that it was um, this biracial couple is, you know, kind of was was in game on that. I really liked that about about this movie, just because that was a little bit of representation that you weren't seeing a whole lot in in movies that were made at that time, I think. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I really liked that one. I liked all the music and the performances in it and the high drama, of course, of of that movie and even just like some backstory family stuff. And so. I feel like overall she, you know, she did a good job in there. And then with Waiting to Exhale, I feel like that's kind of a cultural classic. And I really liked that ensemble with the four of them. And I feel like she fit she fit in really well. And they all might have had like different levels of success and different things that they were doing. But she was probably the most mainstream, most household name of all of them. But it seems like she blended in with that with that um, with that cast well. And with The Preacher's Wife, um, I have a lot of memories of watching that movie with family at Christmases over the years. But I think the thing about that movie is I was a little bit older. And so I had a little bit more of an awareness of what was going on in her personal life, you know. So it doesn't cloud my inter my um, perception of that movie. But I just like had that awareness as I was watching that movie. Um, even being younger, but, um, but yeah, I enjoyed all of them. I enjoyed her and all of them seeing the different versions of, you know, of her and these different characters. So, yeah. And Kim, have you seen all of them then? I have oh, no. seen all of them. I actually rewatched The Preacher's Wife last night because I remember growing up, like I went to Catholic school my whole life. So like, I didn't want to watch anything about religion at all. I was not about it. So I didn't like this movie as a kid, but like rewatching it, I was like, okay, look, I get the appeal like it's not bad like my mom loves this movie and I do like the idea of like people not liking that she was like playing herself as if men don't do that all the time like Robert De Niro plays Robert De Niro but like in this movie she kind of plays her mom because uh, her character Julia is she used to like sing in nightclubs and now she's like she runs the church, church choir and like that's what her mom did and her mom's in the movie too her mom is one of the choir members which is kind of cool I think she did a really good job in this movie. It's it's her or it's her being surrounded by so many great actresses. I mean, so many great actors. I can't really tell. Like, there's Jennifer Lewis. There's Denzel Washington. There's, like, Courtney B. Vance. Like, she's surrounded by so many good people. It's like, how could she fail in this scenario? Like, I don't know. She's just really great in this movie for me. I don't super remember 
the bodyguard. I haven't watched it in a very long time. So I don't know about her acting skills for that one. But I think this is like her second or third movie. But I think she did a really good job in it. I really, really love Waiting to Exhale. Like that soundtrack, I listen to it almost weekly. Like it's on my playlist for like writing. So I listen to it all the time. So I'm like very attached to that. But Waiting to Exhale, like I just think like, like you're right, like the culture of it, like the four of them were so fantastic. I do think her character wasn't as strong as other ones, but she brought a lot to the table. But like that's going to be an Angela Bassett movie for me always. But Whitney Houston did her best up against like those other actresses. And I think she did a really good job like bringing everything together. Like she's surrounded by such a good cast. Like she did an amazing job. I think for, for like what she was given, she did a really amazing job. And with that film too, like we talked about it on, on our podcast, she overdosed while doing Waiting to Exhale. So like now putting that together, like she was in the hospital for like a good portion of filming that. And then she still came back to set and delivered. Like, I think that's kind of amazing. Like, her performance for what she was going through is very amazing. So I think she did a great job with Waiting to Exhale. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And someday we are going to have to talk about Angela Bassett. It's on my list of people we need to. I'll, I'll be here. I love <laughs> Angela Bassett so much. Oh, yeah, me too. She's she's amazing. Yes, yes. And Megan, have you seen all three? Um, so I actually just started my uh, Whitney Houston uh, acting career uh, movie watching this week, uh, just because I, for me, I feel like artists should stick to one medium. However, a lot of it was because my mom watched these movies and my mom always watched these movies. And I don't know if I'm still growing out of the, you know, like I can't just be turning into my mother and watching and doing what she does sort of thing. Um, so I evaded it as long as possible. Like I was like, no, I can't, I can't age like this yet. I can't do it. So I started uh, this week with the bodyguard and, um, it was an experience. And it's not even because of Whitney Houston. It's because of the man, um, Frank. I think that, yeah, Frank. He's something. And honestly, I, I blame the screenwriters on why her performance was seen as subpar. Because she actually did a lot of great moments in that. And there was a lot of flexibility in her acting, considering what she was given to act in. And she did what she could. But I, I do feel like the screenwriters kind of did her dirty on that. And I was like why are we always blaming why are we always blaming the woman like she really did what she could in that moment and I don't know um but because of that I've decided I'm going to continue watching the other movies and I'm glad like everyone else is talking about them because now I feel a little bit more comforted I'm like oh I can get on board with this I can watch this I'm not old like <laughs> I I can do this um, so, um, it was just more of a fear of turning into my mother and it was nothing against Whitney Houston. It's just, I didn't want to be old yet. And uh, it's okay. It's not anything to do with that. Cause honestly, Whitney Houston is like the youngest spirit to have ever existed. And even in her acting, she is very youthful, very warm and just, you just want to hug her. You want to be her. You want to hang out with her. You want to have brunch. Like, I loved her acting. Like it was very heartwarming for me. So I will definitely be exploring more. <laughs> I love your question of why are we always blaming the woman? That is definitely the premise oh, of yeah. our entire podcast. <laughs> so you should definitely check it out. <laughs> oh, the patriarchy. The patriarchy is the answer to almost everything. If it's not the patriarchy, it's, it's capitalism. probably capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
That sounds right. I need to correct something before you go, Erin. I said biracial. I meant interracial. And I have to say that because people will think oh, yes. I know nothing. Yes. So I have to. Yes. <laughs> That's yes. been in my mind this whole time. <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Should have picked up on that too. So, but I've seen all of these um, I, with the bodyguard. I am not a Kevin Costner fan. <laughs> I just want to say that up front. I think Kevin Costner is a horrible actor. I've always thought that I, except for like, I think field of dreams and something else, but I'm just not a fan. So I did see this movie when it was in the theaters, I believe uh, was the first time I saw it. And I was sort of liked it. Okay. But with the going to just Whitney Houston and, and her performance, I think, um, you know, with a lot of musicians, when they cross over and they do anything else or when like an actor crosses over and becomes a musician or an actor goes and is a director, which I have no problem with. I think if you're an artist, you can be an artist in many, many different forms, not just one medium. You can be an artist in like 10,000 different, different things. But when people cross over, there is always going to be a harsher criticism on them, especially, of course, if they're female and especially, of course, if they are a black woman, it's going to be 10 times harsher um, than the criticism would be if this was a white male doing this or a male in general going and doing this. And so I think there was already that built in thing where people go into something like this and they want to see her fail. They want to see her give a bad performance. So if you're going into something, you're already clouded with that vision, then you're going to see it as bad no matter what. They're going to have to push really hard to get you to like them. And that happens a lot with more so I see it with, uh, although you'll see with actors crossing over and doing songs as well. But it's just that thing of like saying, no, this is not your uh, medium that we are used to seeing you in. So this is not going to be okay and we're not you're not going to do a good job and why are you doing this leave it to somebody else so i think it's a very it's very unfair honestly and it kind of pisses me off when critics approach stuff like that um, because there are lots of amazing actors who are also musicians and vice versa there are lots of amazing actors who are directors as well so it's like you know critics just being overly harsh on that and being overly critical before even seeing it is very, very annoying <laughs> to me. And I'm not saying there aren't times when there are horrible performances because there are, and there are, there are times where you're like, oh my gosh, this person is singing. Why are they singing? They should not be releasing an album, but you should still give room for people to do that and, you know, give them grace before you, you know, even like, you know, see it before you even critique it, listen to it before you even critique it. And yes, she's playing a version of herself, but that's what the character is. It's not like it's not like it's not like she's playing like an archaeologist that happens to be just like Whitney Houston singing. I mean, it's like give me a break. She's playing a very successful singer. I mean, hello, that's who she is was, and so it's like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. It's like give me, and I mean. Look at Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner plays the same version of Kevin Costner, in my opinion, in every movie. So it's like, <laughs> but he's a he's a white man, so you he know. can he's allowed. <laughs> so he's allowed to do that. So yeah, it's just uh. So the, it, I'm not the hugest fan of the movie, to be honest. But I don't. She's not horrible. She's actually pretty good in it for it being her first acting role. Oh my gosh. Yes. Brooding white man. 
Uh, but and but I do want to say, even though I'm not a fan of Kevin Costner, I'm, I I think it's really commendable and cool that he wanted to get her to do this so bad. And I really do think that's pretty awesome. And also, I do think they had really good chemistry. So I do want to say that because it would have never worked if they didn't have good chemistry. And they do. They work really well. Um, and yep. then waiting. Yeah. And then waiting to exhale is a wonderful movie, I think. Um, I think of all of these as probably my favorite one. And just the cast is really good. They all of the four main women have amazing chemistry together. And I mean, just all the acting I think is really, really good in that one. And I think going to what you said, Kim, with that one of everybody kind of lifts each other up. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, really good actors are very generous and they're not selfish. Yeah. And I think that's the way it is. And then I just watched The Preacher's Wife, actually just right before we were recording. I watched that this morning. And I, I, we covered Denzel Washington last year. Go listen to our episode on that. And I love Denzel Washington in this movie so much. That's the main thing I want to say. And then also the wonderful late great Gregory Hines, who's yeah. oh, just love. He's also Hines. in. He's also in Waiting to Excel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And I just I I think Denzel Washington and Whitney Houston also had great chemistry. Um, yeah. I think Whitney Houston and Court, Courtney B. Vance's chemistry was kind of hit and miss throughout the movie. Like there were times when they worked better. To sometimes I kind of felt like I was watching a brother and sister (laughs) and i don't know if it was more because they were playing like a couple that was kind of they were going through trials and tribulations so that could be why that's what i was gonna say like i wonder if it was great acting and they were just like we don't know how to communicate with each other because Mm -hmm. our marriage might be falling apart or if they just didn't vibe together i mean why not both (laughs) yeah yeah i was gonna say too about the uh you know you mentioned whitney's chemistry with both of these male leads and uh i would say that uh bobby brown was also seeing the chemistry and a bit concerned oh yeah he hated oh yeah he hated her acting yeah because of that yeah he didn't want her in a movie with denzel at all i mean who who would want to send their wife off to hang out with denzel for like hours a day on set I don't know, but you can send me off. That's fine. I know. I was like, oh, I'll sign up for that. Um, <laughs> but, and you know, and again, once again, when we did our Denzel Washington episode, we, uh, me and Tiff put out in the universe that we want to see a romantic comedy with Denzel Washington and Viola Davis. We Give us that. And I want to see Denzel Washington in more romantic comedy leads because he's yeah. really good. He's really good. I think I I mean, I think he's just really, really good in this. I think all the acting is good. And I do think this is another case, just like with Waiting to Exhale, where I think the people that she is surrounded with have really, really lift her up and help her because I'm sure she also was dealing with her own self-critique and being harsh on herself and wanting to be the best at what she's doing. And she's not a horrible, uh, once again, she's a good actress. She's not a bad actress. I just want to stress that because she's, it's not like watching someone that you're like, oh my gosh, this is so wooden and horrible to watch because she's not like that at all. And of course you've got a great, I think Penny Marshall was, was a great director too. So you've got that as well. So I think that's another reason that that one works. Step into the world of power, loyalty, 
and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, so just like, you know, we talked a lot about this with Janet Jackson when we talked about, um, of course, the Super Bowl incident and uh, the sexism and racism surrounding that. So the tabloid media and media in general and the public really, really, really trashed Whitney Houston. Especially, I think a lot of this came about because Whitney Houston had this good girl, quote unquote, good girl reputation where she was just so sweet and innocent because that's the way the media and the world wanted to portray her, honestly. And that's the way I think uh, some people that were working behind the scenes with her and managing her wanted her to be seen as is she was safe. And then, of course, she marries Bobby Brown, who is known as a bad boy. And so a lot of people thought, oh, this is a weird pairing. And then, of course, with um, substance abuse later, and of course, with the Being Bobby Brown TV series and her infamous interviews uh, around that time, people just wanted to tear her down. I Frankly, that's the way I view it. And I think you know, like we said with Janet Jackson, people love to watch great people fall and they love to help great people fall. And I know that with your podcast, Kim and Bex, I know you talk a lot about this, about big reputation, especially with women. I mean, that's all he covers with women. Yeah. So um, I want to, so Bex, with the way I'm sure you, because I know you've covered Whitney Houston. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure you did a lot of research in this area of how I did most of it. <laughs> so both of you did a lot of research. Mm-hmm. So Kim, I know you did most of it. So I just want to know since you both kind of researched it and then, and then I'll get to you, Ishelle, and then Megan as well, but just since you both recently did an episode on it. So um, what do you have to say about the way the tabloid media and the regular media, not just tabloid media, mm-hmm. regular media tore her down and, and the public too, I want to say. Well, I want to start with what you were talking about in terms of someone curating her image, right? Um, Because, yeah, we recently did an episode on Whitney Houston. It was episode 12. We had a little issue with numbering. (laughs) It's it's 12. um, So go check it out. After you're done listening to this, though, please finish this. (laughs) (laughs) There's just there was so much of her that was misrepresented, right? Like, so one thing that I want to to bring up is from her earlier days and it's less about trashing her name and more about how she was marketed Mm. right because she you know the whole relationship with bobby brown was supposed to be like a shock to the public but it wasn't to her family like he was just another guy from the neighborhood right like that that sort of mentality but it was really a lot to do with the record company right like arista records um they decided that that they basically they need to make her less black I don't, I guess that's the best way to put it. Um, you know, it, Megan was talking about her album with the the short hair and everything. That was not supposed to happen, right? Like she had those pictures done, but the record company like got her into this like blonde weave thing and wanted to redo the photos. But Whitney had approved this 
short haired photo with uh, Robin in advance, her her best friend and assistant, assistant, maybe more. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so she got that photo on the album cover, but it was the last time that like she had control over or that she had any real final say in that. Um, and, and this sort of rebranding of her as this good girl that you're talking about, uh, it really, you know, it kind of caused a riff with black audiences. And one thing we talked about was this moment where like Al Sharpton decided to like lead a protest in front of one of her New York city concerts, uh, because she was only working with like white promoters and how dare she right? Like she had any say over this apparently. Um, and he was calling her like whitey Houston. And so this messaging from someone like Al Sharpton, from the marketing that's done by Arista records is going to sort of brand her in a particular direction. And it really wasn't until her relationship with Bobby Brown that the that she was embraced by the black community kind of at large. So uh, I think, you know, I know that's not really what you're asking in terms of like the tabloids and tearing her down, no, but it I did. But we need to, we need to establish that, that setup that she was put mm-hmm. into in the first place before she was like, they even could have had a chance to tear her down. So uh, yeah, you know, th- these were impressions that were created by others for her at that time. Yeah, she was definitely set up to be this perfect image. Like her parents were divorced and like people didn't know that because divorce was not a thing that would happen to this like beautiful pop princess. Um, there were she was doing drugs at like a pretty young age, but like that's not a thing that was talked about. Like it's this whole thing where like Bobby Brown introduced her to drugs, but like that wasn't the case. Like she had been doing them for years, but that's not the image that anybody wanted to put out there for her. The National Enquirer uh, were the ones that they bought that picture of uh, Whitney's bathroom, which they labeled like the drug den. Um, They just spent so much time tearing her down. And uh, instead of trying to be like more sympathetic, like you see these horrible images. And the first thing was like, well, how many papers can we get it on to sell these things instead of maybe we should like reach out and see what's happening with this person. Like her downward spiral just became like the battery for like all these late night comics. Like Jay Leno was like a big part of that. Mad TV had a running uh, uh, segment where they were just like, what's Whitney doing now? And it, it was horrible. Like we just made all these really terrible jokes about her. Like it, it's just really sad to see like how the story played out because like, she's like the joke, but there's like a person on the other side of it. And all of it was just ignored for literally like capitalism to like sell papers and to, to have a story on the news. And there was a person outside of it who could have used help and all of that was ignored. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> just, it, just a little bit to get yeah. you started, you know? No, no, I think that's no, no, it's exactly true. And if you're going to put someone on such a high pedestal Mm -hmm. in the way you are shaping their career then it's very easy to try and knock that person down because no one you know it's like basically saying we are going to create you so you're not human you are just this creation that is very safe for white audiences is really like you said Bex that's that's exactly what what it was and so it's so of course any little 
quote unquote misstep or something that is perceived as a misstep to other to outside to the outside world is going to be a way that you can shatter that image because once again people like that people like to see people fail which is sad but it's very but it's true it's a lot our culture likes that our culture mm -hmm. likes trashy and trashing people and trashing their reputation and their name you know as, especially when it comes to women i mean it's and you know e even more so you know, when it, when it comes to black women or any women of color, it's very much, you want to trash them. So, you know, and, you know, and also if, if you are trashing, um, like straight white men and cis men and are, are not as trashed in the same way. And they kind of, you know, like, I know you recently talked about Pamela Anderson, the same thing when her sex tape, got out, of course, more people are going to high five Tommy Lee. But yeah. for her, for Pamela Anderson, it's like, she's a slut. She's mm -hmm. a whore. She's a, you know, we're going to trash her name. So it's, it's, you know, it's very, people like to tear women down, especially when women are not living up to the labels we want to put on them and to what we think of as good <laughs> or safe, really. So, you know, it's that whole you know, I, you can be a whore in the bedroom as long as nobody else is seeing it, but you have to be like, you know, the Madonna, you know, in front of everybody else. You have yeah. to be like the Virgin Mary kind of thing. So yeah. Yes. The Madonna, not Madonna. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm not talking about Madonna, the artist. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I'm, I'm not a fan of Madonna, the artist, frankly, but <laughs> no, but we talked about that before, but yeah, but saying is so true i mean we were talking about the the pamela anderson thing now i haven't watched the the pam and tommy special yet but i did see one clip where you know he says to her well i'm in that video just like you are and mm -hmm. she's like no it's not the same like mm -hmm. you're not in there just like i am it's very different how they're reacting to you versus how they're reacting to me yeah and i i have been watching it um i'm i'm very now kind of hesitant because of the fact that she's very opposed to this yeah. Yeah. although it's very pro her very pro her but she's she a, sorry she's opposed no, to like anything that has anything to do with the tape like she she considers it like dirty money she doesn't want anything to do with the tape in her life at all so i'm like maybe she'll see it or she'll hear about it and like maybe she'll try and watch it because i i couldn't see like lily james signing off on something that was going to be anti pamela anderson or like anti-woman so i'm hoping i've only watched half of the first episode but i'm hoping that you know it gets good and maybe she'll watch it yeah, I think it's for her, it's really just a matter of not wanting to relive any of that. And yeah. so that's why she wants nothing to do with it. Which is totally understandable. So, Ishelle, do you have anything to add to that with the way the media treated her? And Yeah, a couple of things that I noticed, and I've heard it with this phrase, like, we expect you to shuck and jive for us. And that was kind of early on in her career. That's what, that's what we want you to do. We want you to, you perform and you entertain us according to what, what we can tolerate. You keep it, you know, poppy enough, whitewashed enough to where it's mainstream. So we can market that voice because who else has got a voice like that? And so it was very much, it was working for them at the beginning and they could control her. And, you know, I think what we've learned is that back then, whatever contract you said, they owned your whole life, <laughs> you know? And, and so there was a whole lot less freedom that the artists had at the time. And, and so that that's kind of where she where she was. And then I think you start to see that as she started to make more of those decisions for herself and as she started to publicly do things that did not fit with that image that they wanted her to be, it's all, you can see where they kind of turned turned 
on her or they were like, yeah, we put you up on this pedestal, but we didn't put any cushion for when you fall down. So you're just Mm kind of going to be on your own at that point. And so, and even just like how everything was handled. And and I personally feel like it was because she was, she was a black woman. And at that point they're like, you're not dancing to our, our song anymore. So we're, we're done with you. But the way the interviews were done, instead of if, you know, other women who had addiction, be it alcohol or or pills or some other drug, if, if they were, I'm going to say a, a white woman, it's more like, how are you now? Did you get the rest you needed? Did you, who in your life was forcing this on you? Who's helping you now? Like it was just more, what can we do? But in Whitney's interviews, it was trying to embarrass her, trying to put her on the spot, you know, things like that. And so I really feel like you could see where that shift was. And then she kind of had to defend herself at that point. She didn't have anyone else from those things who had built her up to that point in her corner anymore. And so that's what she was. And it it was really sad to see them taint the legacy of her work and her talent and um, and all of that and reduce it to the butt of a joke or the tagline for a tabloid. And I remember seeing that, that photo and I mean, my heart just broke. Like I knew her in my real life, like my heart broke seeing that. And so, but to see what, what was done with that and how they made it like, Oh, wasted talent. Oh, you know, whatever. She's letting Bobby control her life or she's whatever. And to not give any attention to just how devastating addiction is and how controlling addiction can be. And they just made it about, you know, we waste, we, we make this huge investment on her and look, she's disappointed us. And, you know, so it was really sad to see what, what the tabloids did to her and what those people who kind of milked her for money, basically, how they just abandoned her and, and, and left her. Yeah. Megan. Well, I think especially with Black artists as a whole, like, they always are considered jokes in media, and it's one of my biggest problems with media is that they are always, you know, uh, yeah, we had Britney Spears when she had her breakdown and everything, but even then, they sort of romanticized it and made it seem like, you know, like, oh, she's just, like, this white woman, feel bad for her, but, like, if any Black woman out here, like, has an opinion or does something like they're immediately high maintenance, difficult, a bitch, all these terrible like language things. And I think what people forget is like Whitney Houston, a lot of what her goals were as a person on this earth was to have a family. She went through two whole fucking uh, miscarriages and that was heartbreaking for her. It affected how she did in films. It affected how she was seeing herself. And it is, it's very tempting, especially when you had as much power and everything as she did, even as experience with controlled substances at a young age, to turn to those as a mean of numbing yourself from all this stimulation, constantly stimulated by media, by uh, people around her, even just uh, the record label wanting her to do more and more and more and all this pressure to do and be perfect. And I don't blame her for acting out the way she did. I feel like in essence, she was more tame than if I were someone put in that situation, how I would have reacted because it would have sent me spiraling too. So for her to even have as much composure as she did in these situations and even defending herself, I don't think it's fair that the media still gets away with this and there's no sort of like reparations and sense of like you know them actually saying sorry that we're such jerks to you all because you know what they owe it they owe it to a lot of people that they really put on these high pedestals and then threw them down like they were nothing and I think that's why I'm someone who will always strive for like allowing things like Instagram uh even like 
TikToks and that to exist because it allows like the artists to take control of who they are if they choose to, like that's their choice and to really define their own narrative. And I'm happy that's happened because Whitney Houston was somebody who really took the grut of what it meant to be an artist who was famous in the 80s and 90s when media was at an all-time high of just like completely belittling people and making them feel terrible about themselves and having other people treat them less than. It, it bothers me, especially just because like, I feel like Whitney Houston probably would have even opened up to us more as her fans if we weren't constantly telling her what to do as people. That's why she shut down. That's why she stopped doing as much as she did before. That's why she really shut down. And I think if she would have had the chance to just do for herself, even if it she didn't share about the miscarriages and stuff like that, it would have been nice if we would have just let her be and let her heal because she went through so much pain. And I can't even begin to imagine how that must have felt for her. And I just, I hope she's in peace now. And like, that's my big thing is that she's feeling peace because nobody gave her peace while she was alive, especially them tabloids. And it was a big thing why like, as someone growing up, I never purchased out, like I didn't go in, into all that. Yeah, like I loved like the idea of having posters and like that in my room, but um, I just couldn't support that mentality, especially because I was old enough at that point to know like what they did to H Whitney Houston was wrong. And for me to be supporting any sort of media outlet like that, it, it wasn't right. Like that's how I dealt with it. Granted, like I was only a child, there wasn't much I could do on my end, but I just wish that we would have held these people more accountable and had them do more to respect her name and put honor to her name because she deserved it. And I, the book I'm reading right now, the um, was it all for nothing? Um, I don't remember the artist's name off the top of my head. Let me go look it up real quick. Didn't we almost have it all uh, by uh, Garrett Kennedy? He's a fan of Whitney Houston. He had the foreword done uh, by Brandy and he talks about how trash uh, media is and what, you know, like he's like, you know, I was able to talk to family members and stuff, but even then, like they want nothing to do with anyone anymore because of what has happened to her. And all I can hope for is that, you know, as fans that we continue to respect her name and just not allow this malice to continue ex existing. I, I yeah, and I haven't even heard of this book. On I know you mentioned it before we started recording, but I haven't heard of it. Yeah, so it came out like a week ago, and I just happened to come yeah, across it when I was browsing. So yeah, so it's a new one for me. I haven't finished reading it, so I don't have like too many opinions on it. But it is touching and moving from what I've read so far, and I think it's it's trying to help heal the narrative of Whitney Houston and really put power to her name again. And in case you, everyone didn't know, there is also a movie coming out soon about Whitney Houston. Yeah, so there's actually, I mean, like, not a documentary, a movie coming out uh, called I Want to Dance with Somebody. Um, it's an upcoming American biographical musical film based on the life of Whitney Houston, directed by Casey Lemons, Naomi Aki. I'm probably mispronouncing that, so sorry. I'm so bad at pronouncing things. Um, is playing Whitney Houston. And um, Clive Davis is actually one of the producers on it. So I don't know if you, if everyone had heard about this, but yeah. No. So mm -mm. yeah, so that's supposed to be coming out later this year. Well, I, I, I think everybody covered that very, very beautifully and wonderfully. And 
you know, I, you know, with drug addiction, I think that's something that people still today don't like to, I don't know, don't like to give enough comfort or love or hope or care to people that are addicted to drugs or to alcohol or to, it's, it's a disease. It's an illness and people don't want to treat it like they would other illnesses. They don't want to help people. They would rather see them fall. And that is really what happened with Whitney Houston, as far as the way the public and the media, um, comedians, everybody, the way we all treated her. I'm just using the royal we. I'm not saying people on my panel, of course, but the way that she was treated was horribly. I mean, just everybody saying, like repeating her lines in interviews. And I think it's, you know, I think, and I mentioned this on Janet Jackson, but I think a lot of it is it's easier for us as for people who are not in the spotlight necessarily to tear people down that are because if you feel like you are less than that person in the spotlight, for some reason, tearing other people down, I think makes some people feel bigger and better about themselves. So I think that's another part to it. And also one thing people seem to forget is that all these artists that we love and admire are human beings. They are not ours. We do not own them. They are human beings. And this means they are entitled to live their own life the way they choose to live their own life. We do not have control or a say in the way they live their own life. Yes, when you become a public figure, there are some things that sometimes will go away with that. That means that sometimes you might get recognized when you're out in public. You might get recognized when you're eating dinner. You might have people come up to you. It doesn't give a person a right to come up to you and interrupt you when you're having a private time with your family or friends. Um, you know, I've heard stories of people going up to people when they're in the bathroom and they're in the middle of going to the bathroom and people interrupt them. You know, so that's one thing people don't understand. I mean, we talked when we talked about insecure and we talked about, you know, an act getting slapped, getting smacked in in an airport because people don't like what his character was doing. And people just don't, people really, I think, sometimes forget that these people that we love and admire, they aren't these fictionalized beings. They aren't these people that we can just create and say they're perfect. And so if they become human <laughs> to human, we can belittle them and trash them and they've disappointed us and failed us. I have once again, like I said before, I want to make it very clear. I am not talking about people in the Me Too movement and people that have done stuff like that. That's totally separate and different. People like that very rarely even suffer consequences of their actions. It's people that do stuff that, you know, like with Janet Jackson, with um, the Super Bowl, which was nothing that was anything that she did wrong. It was something done to her body. It, you know, it's people like Whitney Houston who had substance abuse struggles and who also would just wanted to try and be herself too and was not allowed to be herself. So that's totally different than me too, people who don't suffer. It's pe people who suffer for reasons where we want to see them fail and we want to trash them for simply being and existing and breathing and living. And it just, it's really, really aggravating to me because I think it's the most toxic part of fandom in any way is the fact that we that a lot of fans feel like they own people 
in this way. Like they own and create who they are and they don't view people as human beings. They don't view these artists that they love as humans. They view them very much as their little fictionalized thing of what they are. Like it's okay to go run up to them and grab them and touch them and do whatever you want because they're famous. So therefore they have in their minds given up their rights to be and to exist and to, and to make mistakes like we all do and to struggle like we all do, you know? So. Absolutely. That's just what I want to add there. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that soapbox and I think we should all be on it with you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm on it with her. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. It just irritates me. I've seen so much of that recently with a few things and it happens all the time, you know, and there's also the other side to it. And I see it more um, when it comes to male celebrities, especially white male celebrities, you'll see the other side where you can't critique them. They didn't do anything wrong. They're perfect and wonderful and amazing. And, you know, and we have to protect these grown ass men from any kind of critique or anyone coming after them. Or, you know, you see it a lot with any um, accusations of assault or anything like that. You will see that where it's like, oh, we have to hear the whole story. Whereas in other instances, it'll be like, no, we're just going to tear you down mm-hmm. <laughs> for being human but if someone actually is accused of doing something horrendous we're gonna try and build you up it's it's really yeah. messed it up. all boils down to power right who's got the power yeah. and mm-hmm. who's trying to keep the power and 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 all of that so that's why like what exactly what you're saying with these you know i mean men in general white men specifically their ability to have been in a position of power over everyone else for forever mm-hmm. <laughs> seemingly um you know that that's what kind of taints those um the direction in which those arguments or whatever that that the direction that they kind of go in mm-hmm. i don't know anyway and i also feel like men get to have a, a redemption story right like you can have a comeback yep. career like think about like Chris Brown. No one should be listening to Chris Brown. Chris Brown should not have a career, but people love him and he sells out arenas. He shouldn't have a career, but there he is. Like he gets torn down and then people put him right back up because we love mm-hmm. a comeback story, but only when it's male centered. Yep, exactly. That's, ex- <laughs> that's exactly what it is. Yeah. That's why cancel culture is not a real thing. Oh. It's just not a real thing. People don't get, I mean, it's just, You'll see it everywhere whenever any accusation is made against a man and you look in the comments and it's not just men doing this. It's women. Once again, women play into that culture, too. We do. We play play into rape culture. We play into all of that. So it's just it's very, 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 very sad to me that uh, that this is something that sadly does not appear to ever be changing ever it's like we're just gonna keep going on this anyway and we we are going to be talking about in in a few weeks in march we are going to be talking about and i feel so tabloidy when i say this but i do think it is important because it kind of plays into this but we're going to talk about when fans uh become stalkers and kill we actually are going to be discussing a little bit of that and discussing when when fans cross that line. And I think this goes into that. We have talked about the toxic side of fandom, but we're kind of going the next step further when it kind of goes over and crosses that line, um, which happens because people, you know, 
I think it's an important topic to tackle because I know you and your podcast, you're not going to glorify. You're going to talk about sort of the insidious nature of it and and the dark part of that. So there's a difference between not glorifying it and not talking about it. And so I think it is important to talk about. And and so it doesn't sound tabloidy to me. <laughs> well, thank you. But I, every time I say that when fans kill, I'm like, Aaron, let's come up with a different title because it just sounds <laughs> like, you know, it's like, <laughs> um, but there are those instances. Whereas me saying that Bradley Cooper is going to be taking me to the Oscars, that's, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that's delusion. <laughs> Doesn't he have to get that nomination first? Isn't that he what he has you're been nominated? About? Oh, okay, okay. He was nominated <laughs> for producing Nightmare Alley. So, gotcha. gotcha. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, you know, I know Megan has to go. So, just really quickly, Megan, is there anything else that you wanted to add about uh, Whitney Houston's legacy before you? Um, for me personally, I just want to say that Whitney Houston has just always touched me as a person, just because, like, as someone who struggled to understand love. She really helped me to embody it as well as to understand and feel it within my soul. So I I think everyone should at least listen to Whitney Houston once in their life. They're going to act like they only listen to it once, but they'll listen to it all the time. If they're lying. Um, but <laughs> I think Whitney's impact on music as a whole uh, definitely shaped how like R&B specifically works and how touched we are and how like we sing about it. And it's not in such a you know, like always shown up kind of way, like we can strip it down to just the voice even, and it's so moving and touching. And she just, she had this magic about her. And I hope that we continue to preserve that because she was so youthful, so fun, so loving, even in how she was acting. Like I was surprised when I watched The Bodyguard too. Like she was so, so warm. And I just want that for her. And I hope they show that in the biopic because she's perfect and she deserves the world. Well, she is the world to a lot of people, but like she gave us the world and I hope that we can continue to show the world that she was truly one of the greatest. Well, thank you so much, Megan. And I'll, I'll see you next week. <laughs> Bye. Have a good rest of your day. Thank you so much for being on. Okay. So we're going to end with talking about her lasting impact because I wanted to end on a more happy note. Um, so I just want to go over just a couple of little um, milestones because she is one of the most successful artists ever in the history of music. So just want to put that out there. She was once dubbed the voice, of course. She had sales over 200 million in albums worldwide. She was she was a teen model in, in the early 80s. She was one of the first black women to ever appear on the cover of Seventeen. She had seven consecutive number one singles, sold more physical singles than any other female solo artist in history. Um, she signed one of the biggest record deals ever, recording deals ever, for $100 million. As we've said before, she um, had the best-selling gospel album with The Preacher's Wife. She's had lots of hit singles. She's won Grammys. She's won Emmys. She's won lots of awards. She was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. She has had many, 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 many accolades that are well-deserved. So, Bex, what do you think Whitney Houston's lasting impact on music is? Uh, I mean, yeah, like all the stuff that you were, the stats that you were just sharing there, that's a big part of like just how absolutely amazing she was and what her impact was during her life. You know, um, I think 
there was another thing about her being like the first female artist to enter the charts at number one mm-hmm. as well. Um, you know, just all of that. Like her legacy is not going to be forgotten, no matter like albums are still going to sell. Like, I mean, I know she's gone and won't be able to to see that or whatever, but, you know, she's kind of like the benchmark for what superstardom is for, you know, like, like you said, we talked about her movies and maybe she wasn't like an Oscar winning actress, but she did those movies really well. Like she told the story that was given to her to tell and she she was amazing at it. Her voice, I mean, that's something that people will just aspire to, you know, when, when we name like, okay, what are sort of the, the greatest female vocalists of, of all time? There's no way she's not in like the top five or 10 list. Right. At the, I mean, and that's, that's being extremely generous. I think she, she's probably higher. So, you know, in terms of her, her lasting impact, her music is going to be around for, for generations. You know, Megan was saying like, Oh, I didn't want to watch these movies because that was like my mom and, and that sort of, but now she's coming around to it. Right. And, and the same with her music. Like, I think no matter the generation, if you introduce kids to this today they would they would find something to to sing along with and and just like us growing up with it they might not know what they're singing about (laughs) but they'll they'll have a good time with it because the music is just so beautiful yeah very well said and Ishel yeah so um, earlier I think Bex referenced um, her version of the national anthem and I to me I I agree that's the the best one in, in my opinion and I think listening to her, there was something, there is, there was a joy and a hope and a resilience to, to her voice and the way she sang it, even just looking at her in that, in that white suit that, um, it just made you feel like you were part of something special, just witnessing that. And so I feel like that is something that will, that's just kind of always gonna, gonna be there. And of course, you know, I know her music will, will continue will stand on his on its own her voice does but there's a spirit to her that I hope lingers on as well and uh something else I really hope that eventually the conversations around addiction do change and so some stuff might be revisited with her and they tell it with this with this new angle and with more with more insight and with more consideration and more respect and so that is something that I do hope happens and um you know maybe like one of her songs would go viral on TikTok soon or something. I don't know. <laughs> but but yeah, I just think that there was always something so timeless and classic about her in general and the way that she sang and just her presence. And so I do hope that that, that that lingers on. And that's what I carry with me, even knowing all of the other junk. Like to me, what I carry with it is just this beautiful spirit, this woman who was human, who had struggles and who at time at times was winning in those struggles and at times was not. Um, but each day was trying to to live and, and keep going. And so you know, that's that's kind of what I still see of her. Yeah. And Kim. I just think like you said, she's the benchmark. Like she's always gonna be the goalpost. So for any young woman trying to start a musical career, like it's always gonna be, am I can my career be anything near Whitney? And I feel like record companies are gonna keep trying to push to that. So they're gonna push people as hard as they did Whitney, but I'm hoping that she'll also be a cautionary tale of learning to say, I need more time or I'm going to back away from this deal because I need to put myself first. And I'm hoping 
her death will will present that for people because I mean her music is always gonna be there for us I mean like it's she didn't do any of her own writing but like all the emotion was in how she sang and I think that that's gonna like our great great grandchildren are gonna hear her music it's gonna hear her music and be like oh I get it like I completely understand it like her music is timeless so I think it's always gonna be with us yeah yeah that music her her music is timeless is the is the perfect way to put it you know i think she will be an inspiration for generations to come for many many singers to come both male and female i mean it's it i mean i think she just will be she is a benchmark she is amazing and talented and you know gave her whole heart and soul to every single word she sang and that is incredible and hopefully you know, years from now, that's what the focus will be, mm-hmm. will be on her talent and what she gave to and left to this world, because it's a gift. I mean, the art she left is a gift because music, I think sometimes more than even in some other art forms makes you feel things in this deep, deep level because singing something out, getting work, getting that out put to music is just, there's something so powerful about that. And I think with her music, it doesn't matter what generation you are in. There might be a time in your life where a specific song will speak to you in a way that it might not at other times. And I think that it will be also the lasting legacy is the fact that her catalog is not going to be something that uh, doesn't hold up. I think it's something that people will be able to relate to for generations and generations and generations to come like everybody has has pretty much said and and I think like I mentioned earlier I think when you get older at least for me I appreciate a lot of artists that I didn't appreciate as much when I was young and she's definitely definitely one of those so yeah we're going to go ahead and close out and I'm going to go around and everybody everybody say where they can be found and where their podcasts can be found so Bex and Kim I'll have you both close out together since you host together well Actually, I'm I'm gonna let him do the big rep stuff because I work on some other podcast projects too, and I thought I this would this was a good chance to shout those out. So um, besides the big reputation stuff, you can find me. Um, I host a podcast called Latinx Visions, where we look at um, pop culture, literature, uh, the community in terms of uh, Latinx studies through that lens. I work on that with a colleague of mine from Baruch College, where we both teach. Uh, I run the Twitter account on that one. And I've also recently gotten involved in a project called Coach Beard's Book Club, which is a Ted Lasso-related book club, books that make an appearance in that show. We read them, we discuss them, and, and how they are connected to the show based on when they appeared and why. Because there's a big thing in the first season where he gifts everyone on the team a book. And so it's like, well, why did he give this character that book? And and that sort of thing. Those episodes are only once a month, and I do not have to edit those. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't have as, uh, you know, it, it's not so much on my plate as, as doing the other two podcasts. Um, so the Twitter for that one is called is at Beards Book Club, and uh, you can find us wherever you get podcasts. 
or if you prefer a video version, we do have a YouTube video as well, Coach Beard's Book Club on YouTube. So I will shout out those and let Kim do our big rep stuff. So if you want to hear us ramble a little bit more, um, I make the editing pretty hard for Rebecca with big <laughs> reputations. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Big Rep Pod, Instagram, sometimes on TikTok. I'm trying to get better at it. Um, that's Big Reputations Pod. You can send us an email at bigreputationspod at gmail.com if you want to suggest any women that we should cover. We're always looking for that. And we're on anywhere where you get podcasts Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Google, all Google. the stuff. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And Ishel. Um, yeah, so I am one half of Liberty Diner Dish. Right now we are covering uh, Queer as Folk, um, which came out 20 years ago. <laughs> Groundbreaking show, ran for five seasons. And we're up to season four right now, but you can catch the whole backlog there. Uh, anywhere you get your podcast, I co-host that with a lovely friend of mine named Ken. And we are on social media. We have a girl who helps us with that because I suck at social media. I don't even have my own accounts, but we are at Liberty Diner Dish most places, except for Twitter. We're at Diner Dish. Because they limit the number of characters. They do. And I was like, well, I can't put Liberty Diner. I, I, I went through like, it was a whole ordeal. It was like a whole day trying to come up with, with something. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> This is Erin. You can follow me on Twitter at EAprilBeauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. On Twitter at fandom thing pod. No it's in that one. On Instagram at it's a fandom thing pod. If you have any feedback, show notes, if you would like to be a potential interview guest on the show, feel free to reach out to us at it's a fandom thing pod at gmail.com. Oh yeah, we're also on TikTok. <laughs> Speaking of TikTok, um, which, you know, I still don't get it. The other Erin, Erin A, she is, she's getting a lot better at, at, at getting it, I think, than I am. But it's because she does some amazing stuff in Canva that I still don't quite get. But we've got some fun ones. Um, our Christian Bale ones are still some of our most popular ones. But we just recently did another one, which is, I think, really fun. Or she did it. It's fun, but you can follow us there. It's a fandom thing pod. And eventually... It'll make sense to me. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but next week, we do have a special interview with author Danita Smith, who wrote a novel called The Prince. So we have that. And then we are going to wrap up Black History Month with a discussion about the show Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, which, if you don't know, there is a new one coming out on Peacock. And I've been re-watching The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And as I've said a couple of times, even though it's still funny... I still enjoy it. Oh boy. When you watch some of these shows back, oh boy, the sexism and homophobia in this show. <laughs> oh my. Uh, so we'll be talking about that a lot. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, um, you forget. But but there are still some really funny, funny moments. You watch as Will Smith gets better and better throughout the show as far as his performance goes i think so mm, but did he get canceled or not canceled but did he get criticized for not being an a-plus actor in his first season just saying I, th I think i think well i think he did have some behind the scenes issues with some of the cast oh, okay. <laughs> because of that um but but i you know i mean i think there was kind of like oh well he you know comedy's easy which comedy is not easy by the way comedy is really flipping hard um, but I think some people critiqued it that way and stuff. But of course, there's the scene that we will, of course, talk about that everybody points out when people say that's when people decided he was 
a real actor, quote unquote, when um, the whole scene about his dad, about his dad. Yeah. So we'll definitely, yeah, we'll definitely talk about that scene because that seems really good. That should be a good conversation. Um, it'll probably just be Megan and me, not me. I was surprised. Nobody else really wanted. Um, it might, Judy might if Judy has time to come on. So that's how we'll wrap that up. And then March, we've got some great stuff coming your way. Some more interviews. Like I said, we've got the stuff about, about fans crossing that line, becoming stalkers and even killers. We've also got one talking about comedic actors taking on dramatic roles and vice versa stuff like that. And then pretty soon we are going to be back in the Ryan Murphy universe in April when we are going to be talking about 911, which was an episode that Carla and Meg lovingly bullied me into doing, as we like to put it. I think the word is harangue. <laughs> no, they like to say they bullied me into doing Oh, they do. Things. Yes, that's true. <laughs> um, and then we'll also be talking about Hollywood. We'll be talking about the movie The Normal Heart, which if you listened to our 200th episode i go off on on how upsetting that is of a, as far as reminding you how the aids crisis and what a horrible shitty human being ronald reagan was mm. and Ishelle's going to be on that one i have you down you you look surprised <laughs> <laughs> uh now what now <laughs> no, i'm kidding so it's a great it's a good movie it's one of the it, it's it's a it's one of the good Ryan Murphy. It's a, it's not as problematic as some of his other stuff. And then we're going to be rounding that out with talking about Ratchet, which means your host gets to talk about Finn Whitrock, which is something that I love to do. And writer? Do. <laughs> I had to. Somebody had to. Which <laughs> is something I can do forever. And just so you know, right now it will already be out. Uh, Jen, my podcast, Brain Twin, had me on my streaming bubble to talk about Finn Whitrock for two hours and it was so much fun because it was you a, weren't being harassed by by Megan Carla in between <laughs> by anybody. <laughs> so it was very fun because I, there was absolutely no teasing, and I just got to talk about Finn Whitrock for two hours. So go listen to that as well. So thank you so much. So until next time, remember it's a fandom thing. Black Lives Matter and stop Asian hate. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.